You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, a very happy Easter also for me. I've got eggs dropping. You see, for me, Easter morning... An egg hunt was a very important part of every Easter morning. Has anybody done an egg hunt this morning? It's a bit of an American tradition, really. My parents had a few years in the US when my older sisters were little. So we always had an egg hunt. So we've got a few eggs here to give away. I've already found out there's a couple of people on the second row who haven't had an egg yet this morning. So Brigitta, ready to catch? These are, that was a good catch. These are hard to catch. And Davy, I understand. Although you won't be able to eat that, will you, because you're vegan? Pass that on to someone else. Anyone else not had an egg yet today who isn't vegan and uh, feels they would like an egg? Here we are. There's one for Cherry there. Oh, sorry, Angela. (laughs) This is a dangerous game. Right, Rachel, are you ready? (sighs) This seemed like a really good idea. Here we are. There's hands going up and people in front of them going, no! Here we go. That was a good throw and... And nearly a catch. Anyone else? We've got some over here. I'm not sure I can throw that far, but we'll give it a go. (laughs) We'll be finding these for for years to come. There we are. (laughs) I could do this uh, randomly throughout the preach. It would make everybody uh, stay attentive, wouldn't it? Here we are, this one nervous hand going up there. Oh. A swift take on the way. (laughs) There was a sharp eye and a sharp catch for those who didn't notice that one. That's nothing to do with the sermon. That's just a bit of fun. Share some eggs on Easter morning. If you've been here the last few weeks, then you need no introduction to the series that we're in on meeting Jesus. You see, the truth is that we're changed by who Jesus is. And when we meet him, it's his attributes, it's what he's like that then impacts our lives. So we've looked to Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Coming King, understanding that for each one of us, we need to meet Jesus the Savior because I need to be saved from my sin. That I need to meet Jesus the Healer because I need to be healed in the brokenness of my fallen humanity. That I need to meet Jesus the Coming King. I need his reign to be coming and changing me day by day as the kingdom comes in me. And then it's fitting that this morning on Easter Sunday that we turn our hearts and our minds to consider meeting Jesus, the risen Lord, the risen one who on that first Easter Sunday came out of the grave. We could ask the question quite rightly, do I need to meet the risen Lord today? You could think, well, mainly, is this not mainly something that's to do with when I die? Eternal life, life after death, is that not when I need to meet the risen Jesus? What is it about him that I need to impact my life today? I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but I began wondering this week, did Jesus actually need to come back and walk on the earth? Could he have defeated death and stayed in heaven? Could he have overcome the grave, received a transformed, resurrected body, but not come to walk on the earth again? I think maybe he could have done. 
There could have been an empty tomb to testify that his body was gone and he was raised back to life. There could have been angels there to tell the message so that the disciples knew what had happened. Perhaps it could have happened without him needing to come back. But he did come back. The risen Lord did appear. He came to meet with those who'd followed him. He came and he met some who hadn't followed him. And he returned, and so there must have been purpose in his return. He did not wait as the risen Lord to meet his disciples when they passed on from this life. And I believe there's a need for us also as his followers to meet the risen Lord in this life, in this world, in the land of the living. So if you want to turn with me this morning, we're going to read one of these encounters with the risen Lord from Luke 24. If you want to turn there now, Luke chapter 24, we're going to read from verse 13 to 35, where we find two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's Luke 24, verse 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. An amazing account 
written so brilliantly by Dr. Luke, who writes this gospel, relating to us what happens at the close of this, the first day of the week, the day of Jesus' resurrection. Tom Wright, in his commentary on the book of Luke, he talks about this passage and says, at the level of drama, this has everything. It's got sorrow, suspense, a gradual dawning of light, and then in the second half, unexpected actions, astonished recognition, a flurry of excitement and activity. But in amongst all of this, the risen Lord comes to meet two travelers on a road. And here as we find out how he comes to meet them, there's some things that we can find as to how he wants to meet us, the risen Lord, this Easter morning. And there's three simple things that I want us to see together from these verses about how the risen Lord comes to meet us. Firstly, the risen Lord meets us where we are. The risen Lord meets us where we are, and he walks along with us. He meets us where we are, and he walks along with us. You see, we've got these two on the road to Emmaus. They're talking together. They're discussing what's going on. But it says to us in verse 15, it says, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They didn't recognize him, but he came and walked alongside with them. Who were these people? We get the name of one of them, Cleopas. Cleopas doesn't get mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. There's somebody who it might be the same person as who's named Clopas. He gets a mention in John 19. He gets a mention mainly because his wife Mary is there near the cross when Jesus is crucified. Standing there with Jesus' mother, it tells us in John 19. Perhaps it was the same person. Perhaps these two are Clopas and Mary. We, we don't know for sure. What we can know for sure is these were not part of the twelve. These were not part of the inner group that were at the heart of the action in everything that Jesus did. I find it so encouraging that on day one of the resurrection, when so far, if we read the gospel accounts, Jesus has only appeared to Mary at the tomb, a different Mary. It's a bit of a popular name. It can get a bit complex. He's met with one person. The 11 haven't seen him yet. The guys who were always there when the miracles were going on, they've not seen him yet. We have no reason to believe that Jesus had any business in Emmaus. Nothing to do, no misdeliveries to collect, no relatives to visit, no shops to go to. And if you read through the accounts about what happened after the resurrection and how Jesus got about, he had no need to be on the road. He didn't need to walk. It was not his main mode of travel. But he turns up here on this road at this time because Cleopas, whoever he is, and his companion are there. He met them where they were. These people that we don't really know who they were, but Jesus comes to meet them where they are. And he came alongside, and he walked along with them. I hope you can see what I'm seeing in these verses here this morning. That you don't need to be amongst those who seem to be at the table. You don't need to be amongst those who seem to be known. You don't need to be among the famous. But the risen Lord comes and comes to walk alongside you. He comes to find you where you are so that he can walk along with you. I believe this morning that the risen Lord wants to come alongside each one of us and to walk along with us also. 
It's interesting, as he came alongside, he listened to what they were discussing. I believe the Lord is interested in what we're discussing. Our conversations, how we phrase things. That's not a main point this morning. It's a little bit mysterious in this encounter that they don't recognize him. It's part of the wonder and the mystery of the resurrection body that Jesus has. That somehow it's the same body, but it's different. There's some aspects of it that are recognizable, and yet those who first see him don't recognize him. We know it is fundamentally the same body because as we read through the Gospels, there are times when others of the disciples and other people notice the marks on his hands and wrists. The marks on his feet. We read in John that Thomas puts his hand in his side because he says, I'll only believe if I see those marks and I put my hands in them. So somehow it was the same body. And yet also it was a transformed body. The language of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul writes to the church trying to explain some things about the resurrection. He says of Jesus that his body was sown mortal but raised immortal, sown perishable and raised imperishable. There was something about this process of what Jesus had done going through death. He hadn't been given a new and a different body, but something had happened to his body that it was transformed into an imperishable body, which made him hard to recognize. He was different in some ways to how he had looked before. So he's welcomed as a stranger by the two men on the road. They don't realize that it's him. And he comes up and he walks alongside them. He listens to their discussion, joins in with them, and then helps them to understand. We too can meet the risen Lord this morning because he comes alongside, comes and finds us where we are and walks alongside with us. You know, the risen Lord Jesus first met me when I was four years old. When my big sister Susan, age nine, helped me to invite him into my life after a particularly nasty bump to the head. This is what child evangelism can look like in your home also. It's another story for another day. But you know, the amazing thing for me is that ever since that day, Jesus has walked alongside me. He's just kept coming and finding me where I am and walking alongside of me through all sorts of seasons. Some when I've been open and easy to entreat. Some when I've been less open. Some when I've not been sure that I need God. Some teenage years when I wrestled with whether I really wanted to follow God or whether I wanted to use my growing independence to go a different way. He walked alongside me. He walks alongside us. And you know in those years as he walks alongside, I remember times when I sensed him walking alongside me and I knew I knew that that's what I wanted to define my life more than anything else. And there he was. He'd come to find me where I was, just walking alongside me. And he's continued through all the years and all the seasons to walk alongside. And friends, this morning, you might not feel like you're in the thick of things. You might feel like you're right on the edge of things. You might feel like nobody knows your name. You might be like Cleopas's companion. You don't even get named. But friends, the risen Lord comes to meet you where you are. Wherever it is that you're journeying this morning, he comes to meet you where you are because he wants to come and walk alongside you. He wants to meet you and walk alongside. Secondly, from these verses this morning, the risen Lord meets us when hope seems lost. He meets us when hope 
seems lost. And he rekindles the fire in our heart with his word. You see, as these two travelers walk along with Jesus, they explain to him what they're talking about. And one of them begins talking about Jesus, this prophet, powerful in word and deed. And he says the chief priests and rulers had handed him over and they crucified him. And then he says, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. It doesn't say it expressly, but the use of the past tense says it all, really. They were not still hoping. Their hope died at the cross when Jesus died. They thought he was going to save them from the powerful oppressor, but he was killed at their hands. So now hope was also dead for them. We had hoped. We were hoping. But now hope seems lost. The risen Lord comes to walk alongside these two individuals. They were not part of the 12. They were not part of the chosen inner crowd. And we see here in what they say that neither were they those who faithfully kept on believing whatever. They weren't those who just hoped and hoped regardless. They had lost hope. As many of us can in the seasons of life when some tough things come our way. But the risen Lord comes to walk with them in that moment when hope seems lost. You're probably many of us in the room this morning, we know that hope can seem lost in our lives in different seasons when different things happen. But I need to tell you that when we look at the resurrection, when we consider that there is a risen Lord who couldn't even be held by death itself, and that this risen Lord comes to walk alongside us through every circumstance, through every situation, through every season, then friends, hope is never truly lost. It may seem lost, but it is never truly lost because the risen Lord Jesus, the resurrected one, the one with power even over the grave, is walking alongside you. Anything is possible. Everything is possible when we are walking alongside the risen one. He's walking alongside them. You know, these two people, they'd lost hope because they thought they had an understanding of what Jesus was going to do. They'd grasped that Jesus had come to redeem Israel. They'd grasped that he was going to come and set them free. They were not wrong. They'd grasped it, and they were absolutely spot on. But they only had a partial understanding. They'd envisaged how they thought it was going to play out, and that's not quite how it works. They thought Jesus had come to save Israel from suffering, and Jesus had come to save Israel through suffering, through his own suffering. You know, I've had numerous times in my own life where I've got confused when it seems that hope is lost, mainly because I think I've grasped something of what God said and of how something's going to play out and I've envisaged what it's going to look like, and then it hasn't quite been like that. And, I, and I've gone back and said, well, I thought it was going to look like this, but it doesn't look like that. There was a time when God said some things to me, gave me a sense of some things that were going to be in my life. And they relate to the season I'm walking in right now. But you know when he spoke to me? It was over a decade ago, in a different place, in a different season. And you know what? In that place, none of those things happened. 
I had an idea of how it was all going to play out. The things I sensed God saying, what that was going to look like in the time and in the place that I was in. And guess what? It wasn't for that time and it wasn't for that place. So it didn't happen how I thought. And when it didn't happen how I thought, I lost hope. I didn't understand. There were questions, there was pain, there was heartache. Anybody else in the room know what I'm talking about? When you go through a season like this, God says something or we sense something, but we add on to that what we think that's going to look like and how it's going to play out. So the two travelers, their hope seemed lost. We had hoped, they said. We had hoped. But then the risen Lord comes alongside them and begins to speak to him, to speak to them. Now I've got to say, Jesus' pastoral opener here at this point is quite surprising. He actually comes alongside, I don't know if you noticed this when we read it, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. I think I'm going to use this in my pastoral ministry. I'm going to start off some meetings. I'm going to listen to people first and then say, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe. And I'm going to see if I can be as fruitful as Jesus was by taking his words and using them also. Not really. It's just a joke. Unless it's really, really appropriate and I feel I should say it. He says, didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he began to explain what was said about him in the scriptures. He begins to open the word to them. And we get told a few verses later what happens in these two travelers as Jesus opens the scriptures to them. As they walk along and he talks about the scriptures, they say, were not our hearts burning within us? Were they not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning? They're walking along and hope seems lost, but Jesus, the risen Lord, comes and begins speaking to them about the scripture. He begins opening up the word of God to them, explaining what it meant, explaining the purposes of God, helping them to see the bigger picture. And you know what happens is as Jesus brings the word and shares it with them, something begins to happen in their aching hearts. Something is going on in the embers of their hope and of their faith. As they walk with Jesus and they hear the word, it's like Jesus is blowing on the embers of their hope. <sighs> blowing on it. I don't know if you've ever had a fire. We occasionally have a fire in a fire pit in our garden. And the next day, obviously, the fire's not there. But if you go and you rake through the ashes a bit, sometimes you can still find some warmth and you can find a few embers. It's not a fire. It's just embers left there. But you can make a fire quite quickly again from the embers if you know what to do. You need something that'll catch light and then you just need to blow on them. Blow on them. And I get the sense that as Jesus walked along with these two and their hopes seemed lost, as he begins to speak the word of God, then something's happening in their hearts. And it's like Jesus is breathing into their aching hearts. Breathing on the embers. Seeing the flames begin to grow, rekindling the fire in their hearts. Just by speaking the word, the resurrected Jesus comes and blows on those embers, fans into flame, rekindles. 
the fire in their hearts. In the season of life that I spoke of a few moments ago, when I hadn't understood what God was doing, feeling that God had forgotten me. I don't know if it was through a prayer time or a devotion. I don't know how I came to be in Isaiah 40, but I found myself there. And there's a couple of verses, 27 and 28, although it's a wonderful chapter of Scripture, the whole chapter. But there were two verses that as I walked with Jesus in that season and as he came alongside me, he used those words to breathe on the embers, to blow on the embers of my heart. The verses simply say this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And in that season, I kept going back to that word. I kept letting Jesus walk alongside me and speak and for his spirit to take those words because I knew that every time I let those words speak into my heart, it breathed on the embers. It rekindled the fire. I know there's going to be many people across the room here this morning. You've had similar seasons. You've had similar scriptures where the Lord's come alongside and he's brought a scripture and he's breathed life into your hearts with it. It's brought your life, it's rekindled the fire in your heart, and that word is forever precious to you because it's been a point of encounter. I sense as I was preparing this word, I know there's some people here that the Lord wants to minister to this morning for whom hope seems lost. And I want to just take a moment right now for the Lord to breathe into your heart. And so if if you're here this morning and there's a sense that, that hope seems lost, I'm going to invite you just to stand to your feet. I don't want you to feel embarrassed, but actually I, I just believe the Lord wants to, wants to breathe on you specifically this morning. He wants to rekindle the fire in some hearts. So don't be slow. Just stand wherever you are. I'm not going to keep you standing for long, but just to pray with you. Thank you. Several people, just stand up. I'm not going to stay here for very long waiting. But if you feel this morning, hope seems lost. He wants to speak to you this morning. Anyone else before I pray? I'm going to read this scripture and then I'm going to pray. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you... Not know. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection life and power that is made available to us, that impacts our lives and brings your life into our hearts. And we just pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, we, we stop to make room for you to minister, that you would come and rest on each heart. 
rest on each life. Speak and minister your word deep into them with your resurrection life and power and rekindle the fire in their hearts. Even now, Holy Spirit, minister to them, we pray. Let hope arise, let faith arise, and may they know your love, your joy, and your peace in this moment. We ask in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Do take your seats. If the Lord's doing something in your heart, then just stay open to what he's doing. The risen Lord comes to meet us when hope seems lost and he rekindles the fire in our hearts with his word. Thirdly, from these verses this morning, the risen Lord meets us when we welcome him when we welcome him, and he reveals himself to us. We're told in verse 28 of this chapter today that Jesus continued on as if he was going further when they arrived at their destination. Luke, in recounting the story, he knows that Jesus has not got anywhere further to go. He didn't need to journey anywhere else. He was only actually on the road to get alongside Cleopas and Cleopas's friend. He was only there to share the word with them, to rekindle the fire in their hearts. He didn't have any more journeying to do, and yet he continued as if to go on. You know, friends, Jesus is a respecter of your free will. It's part of how he made you. It's part of how he made humanity. It's a key part of who we are and how we function. And he will not force you and he will not coerce you. Yes, he comes alongside so you can taste his goodness. Yes, he comes close so you can be enlivened by his word and sense the difference that his presence makes in your heart. But he doesn't impose himself. He waits to be invited. And here in Luke's account, Jesus continues on as if he's going further. And he only stays when Cleopas and the companion urge him, it says urged him strongly to stay. Don't, don't go any further. Stay, stay. It's evening. Come on. They welcome him to stay. They welcome him to eat with them and to share at their table. Amazing. These two, they weren't there on the night that Judas betrayed Jesus. They weren't there at that table. They weren't there for that breaking of bread. But here at Jesus' first meal as the resurrected, risen Lord, these two get to eat with him because they welcomed him in, because they said, don't keep going, even though he went as if to continue on. These two get to share his first breaking of bread as the risen Lord. And they sit down and they allow him to break bread with them and to eat with them there. And it's at this point, as they've welcomed him in, as they sit to share with him, that something happens. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He revealed himself to them when they welcomed him in. Was it because as they sat at the table, finally they saw the scars on his wrists as he broke the bread? Was it just maybe the way that he broke the bread? You know, when you've been around people, you get to know their habits, don't you? Maybe they'd seen him break bread many times before, breaking it to feed 5,000, breaking it to feed 7,000, breaking it maybe in homes they were like, that's, that's the way Jesus does it. The familiar things in our lives, like who's coming down the stairs in your house, you don't have to see to know who comes down that heavily, do you? 
Maybe they just recognized the way he broke the bread. Or maybe something happened to them as the resurrected Jesus sat at their table. Maybe his resurrection power began to transform their own hearts and lives, and that's what made their eyes be opened. Maybe something was going on as they welcomed him in, where suddenly they could see the fullness of who he is. We can only speculate, but I think probably there were some of all of these components going on at that table. Why did Jesus do it this way? Why did he reveal himself this way? I kind of think, you know, he could have come up behind them on the path, on the journey to Emmaus, tapped them on the shoulder, and then when they looked round, gone, it's me, I'm back. The body's had an upgrade, it's never gonna die, but it's me. It would have made for a good story, yeah? It would have been a good entrance, maybe a bit cheesy. But that's not how he does it. He didn't do it that way. Why wouldn't he do it that way and make it clear from the outset? Well, the risen Lord Jesus is a person. Jesus is a person. And you know, you never can truly know a person without making some steps towards them, welcoming them in some way to come closer to you as a person. It requires some level of self-disclosure, some grounds upon which to engage as people. Even we know you only get to know someone when you allow them into your world, where you share something with them of what you think or where you live or what you do. And it's only as we welcome the risen Lord Jesus into our world, it's only as we seek to engage with him and interact with him that we will truly see who he is. That's when he reveals himself to us. That's when we get to know him, when we see more of him, when we truly recognize him. He meets us as we welcome him, and he reveals who he is to us. This is what I see as the risen Lord meets these two travelers on the road. It encourages me that this morning for all of us, he comes to meet us where we are and walk along with us. He comes when hope seems lost, to rekindle the fire in our hearts with his word. And he comes when we welcome him and reveals himself to us. And simply as we come towards the end of this message, I want us to note their response as they sit around the table with the risen Lord. You see, they've just encountered the risen Lord Jesus, and in the moment when they recognize him, it says he disappeared. And so there they are, they're left sitting at the dinner table in Emmaus, where Jesus was sat just a moment ago, and he suddenly disappeared. What do you do in that moment? They've just walked seven miles from Jerusalem. I don't know if you noted that detail. They're probably tired. It must have been an exhausting weekend. But they didn't just decide to lie down and go to bed. They didn't just think, that's good news, I can finally sleep. But actually, it required action of them immediately. It required them to do something. In fact, it tells us that they got straight up, went straight back to Jerusalem, walked the seven miles, at least a two and a half hour walk in the dark to go and see the other believers. And what I want us to realize this morning is that meeting the risen Lord changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. 
In fact, if you were to read through the New Testament, which is mainly, it's written by the apostles, by those early believers who'd experienced Jesus' life, who'd been there around his death, and then also had encountered the risen Lord, the risen Jesus, they understood that the resurrection changed everything. Absolutely everything. It wasn't a blessed add-on at the end, but actually everything that Jesus had said, everything he'd come to do, everything that he taught about, it all hung in the balance here on Easter Sunday. And that actually when Jesus rose again, when he's the risen Lord, that it's not just a new week that dawns, but a whole new era, the day of salvation, the time of God's favor is flung wide open with an empty grave. You see, the resurrection proved once and for all that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He said He is. Discussion over. Romans 1, 4. Christ Jesus, who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. He is who He says He is. He does what He says He'll do. And the resurrection stands to testify that He is the Son of God. It's one of the reasons that Islam stands constantly to undermine the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it testifies that he is the Son of God. The resurrection power of Jesus means that we can be born again. There is no new birth without the resurrection of Jesus. Peter makes it really clear that we've been called into a new hope, a new birth, he says, into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. No resurrection, no new birth, no born again, no new way of living, no leaving the past behind. The power for it comes through the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus affirms the completeness of the work on the cross, the work that we celebrated here on Friday. Yeah, we can applaud. It affirms that it was true, that our sin was finally dealt with, that it was actually finished his offering was accepted by the Father. It says in Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, to make us right with God. His death and his resurrection are both part of us being put right with God. The effects of our sin paid for by Jesus. The power of sin at work in our lives today overcome by the resurrection power of Jesus. Friends, the resurrection, it changes everything. Not to mention that it gives us assurance of what will happen when we die, that because he was raised, we also will be raised. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, for Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. He has gone first that we might follow. He has busted out of the far side of the grave. So there is a way through for you and for me that when our mortal bodies come to their end, they will be sown mortal and raised immortal. That our bodies, which will be sown perishable, will be raised perishable and we'll be given everlasting life because he has gone there first. Friends, the resurrection changes everything. No wonder they couldn't stay at the table. No wonder they couldn't go to bed last night, that night. They're like, let's get back on the road. Let's see the disciples. I want to be with them because everything is different today. The resurrection changes everything. 
And this risen Lord doesn't leave it to some angels to pass on the message. He doesn't leave it to chance, but he comes to meet those who follow him that they would know that they would know the truth of who he is, that they would know the fullness of this message. And he comes alongside, he goes and finds them where they are and walks along with them. The risen Lord comes to meet them when hope seems lost and rekindles the fire in their hearts that they would go again. And the risen Lord, when they welcome him in, he reveals himself to them. Wherever you are this morning, Whatever the state of your heart, however you came into this room today, the risen Lord wants to meet with you this morning. He wants to meet you where you are. He wants to come and walk alongside you because he loves you. He gave himself for you and he wants you to be there with him for all eternity. He wants to rekindle the fire in your heart this morning. He wants to reveal himself to you but waits for you to welcome him again to invite him in to every place and part to indicate that you want him to stay. You know, Jesus was revealed to these two as they welcomed him in and they sat and they broke bread. We're going to break bread simply as we come to a close in the service, as, as we respond to this message this morning. I invite us to come to the tables this morning to welcome him into our lives, to invite him, to say, Lord, I want you to stay. I want you to come in. Don't, don't go, Lord. He's not about to go. He doesn't clear off easily, but he sometimes waits for us to invite him that we would know more of him. As we come to the table this morning, let's thank him, this son of God, the one who's done a finished work to deal with our sin. His body was broken. His blood poured out. This one who was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. As we come this morning, let's come and welcome him into our hearts, into our lives again. Let's thank him for his indescribable gift to us. Let's worship him again, bow our lives and our hearts to him, this Jesus, the Savior, the healer, the coming King, the risen Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, the magnitude of what you've done, we can't even fully get our heads around that you, the risen Lord, who went to the cross to take all the sin of mankind, and you who rose again, defeating the grave once and for all, that you come to find us with your message. You come to find us with your life, wherever we are. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that you've come and you've found us again this morning. And we open our hearts and our lives to you. We say, Lord, come. Rekindle the fire in our hearts today. Come and walk alongside us. And we welcome you in and ask that you would show us more of who you are. That we might follow you. That we might become like you. For Jesus, we love you. We worship you and we adore you. And we ask that as we come to this table this morning, may your resurrection life and power 
Flood our hearts again. Impact our hearts and lives again. Bring newness of life. Bring life to the dead places in our hearts and souls again. King Jesus, we welcome you. In all that you are and just as you are, come and take your place in our hearts and our lives. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. We welcome you.